you go ahead and turn, of course, to John 17, which we know is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Christ praying for us, His disciples, first for the disciples who are sitting there with Him, but then by extension, verse 20 says to us as well. I'm going to back up and read from verse 6 as Jesus lifts up this prayer and we'll read down to verse 19. We'll get the full context here. Jesus praying says to the Father, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Yours they were, and You gave them to Me. And they have kept Your word. Now they know that everything that You have given Me is from You, for I have given them the words that You gave Me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from You, and they have believed that You have sent Me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. All mine are Yours, and Yours are Mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to You. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in Your name which You have given Me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the Son of Destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to You. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them Your Word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that You take them out of the world, but that You keep them from the evil one. And here's where we start this morning. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And now, Lord, open your word to us that we may see, hear, understand, and be changed for Christ's sake. Amen. So what is a Christian? If we would take it from this passage, we would say that a Christian is someone whom Christ has redeemed out of this world into a relationship with Himself. Uh, More than anything else, if you're a Christian, that is what describes you, and indeed it's what must now define your very life. You you may be black or white, uh, you might be Asian or Hispanic, male or female, But above and beyond any of that, you are a person who belongs to Christ. Something He has done has separated you from the life of this world in its rebellion against God and anchored you to Him for a new life centered on God both now and forever. And it is that sense of separation from this world and dedication to God that we were looking at last time, you may remember, And the word for that separation from and to is what? Do you remember? That would be holiness or sanctification. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 15. Peter writes, But as He who called you is holy, you also must be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy... For I am holy. So the Christian is called to a life of holiness. 
A life where you are separated more and more from the sin that rules this world so you can be dedicated more and more to the God who now rules your life. That's what we want to continue looking at this morning as we, as we listen in to this prayer of Jesus. I mean, what is it that Christ wants for your life more than anything else? That you would be truly and joyfully His. And that is holiness. So let's look at that. The first thing we see in the prayer of Jesus in this regard is that those who belong to Christ can no longer belong to this world in its rebellion against Him. That's verse 16. They, speaking of disciples, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now that's exactly what He said back in verse 14. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. He repeats it. So why does He repeat it? Clearly for emphasis. He wants to make sure we get this. You cannot belong to this world in its sin and to Him in His purity at the same time. You cannot hold its views and hold to Him at the same time. You can't celebrate its lies. You can't join in its march as it marches away from God's truth. You cannot serve two masters if those two masters are moving in opposite directions. And Jesus and the world are moving in opposite directions. You've got to follow one or the other. But here's the thing, you can't follow both. Do you understand that, right? And let me just be simple and illustrate that with two volunteers, two young people maybe. Can I have two? Two of you? Just Sure, come on. Here's one. Where's my other one? This is no judgment on any individual, right? But you get to be the world. So stand here and hold this. And you get to be Christ. Now you turn and walk that direction as far as you can. And you turn and walk that direction as far as you can. Keep your back to me. I cannot follow one without turning my back on the other. I cannot embrace this one without walking away from that one. That's what he is saying. Okay, thank you guys. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) Thank you. Jesus said that very clearly, didn't He? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either He'll hate the one and love the other, or He'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Mammon meaning worldly wealth, worldly interests. And so when you come to Christ, there is a change of allegiance from this world in its sin to Christ in righteousness. And as we saw last time, the more you walk in step with Christ, the more out of step you're going to be in this world committed to sin. And that's why it'll hate you, Jesus says. Because it hated Him. Because you can't go along with it as you go with Him. You can't love what it loves. You can't affirm it in its sin. You can't pretend that it's alright. Because your allegiance is now with Christ. And here's the really important thing that we notice in this prayer. Jesus isn't saying that this is something that ought to be true of you, that you that you ought to strive to be in step with Him and out of the world. He says this is how it is with you if you're a Christian. This is the simple fact. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. It's a simple statement of truth. If you're in Christ, because you belong to Him, you cannot belong to this world. 
He made that so very clear back in uh, chapter 15, verse 19. He says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If you belong to Christ, you don't fit with this world anymore in its sin, any more than He does. Does He fit with the world's sin? Is He blending into the world in its wickedness? Then neither can you. And dear Christian, you've just got to get used to that. If you're His, you can't be theirs. If you belong to Him, you can't go along with them as they pursue a life that runs contrary to His. And you've got to make that choice every single day as a believer. And so... As a Christian, your life is on an entirely different trajectory from theirs because it's moving you closer and closer to Him. So here's the second main point, the main thing we'll look at this morning. Those who belong to Jesus then are being sanctified. They're being made holy by His Word. Look at verse 17. And by the way, verse 17 is one of these verses that you need to memorize. You just need to make that your goal if you haven't to memorize this passage. And think about it. Verse 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. For some of you, this needs to become one of your life verses. That This needs to get down deep into your spiritual bones. Sanctify them in the truth. So what does sanctify mean? We looked at this last time. The Greek word is hagiabzo. And it's part of that holiness word group in Scripture And it's translated lots of ways. It means consecrate, dedicate, sanctify, purify, set apart, separate, make holy. This one Greek word means all those things. As we saw last time, it pictures a separating. Separating something from common use that it might be dedicated to God for His use. Let me just remind you of that with two pictures from the Old Testament. First, in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was the altar. The altar, Exodus 29.37 says, is holy to God. That means it was separated from common use and dedicated to God for His use. So you couldn't just come use the altar for a family barbecue. You couldn't use it to, 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 to cook your morning breakfast because it did not belong to that world. It was wholly dedicated to God for the offering of sacrifice. Likewise, the priest, I said last time, was holy. That means his life was set apart from the life of this world so he could be dedicated to the service of God. That is what holiness is. That's what is meant by sanctification. And actually, they're exactly the same word in the original. Uh, English is weird. We have holiness from one language group and sanctification from another language group. But it's the same word in Greek. We need a word like holify or something like that. Uh, But we don't have it, so we put up with this this distinction in our language. But this is what it means to be set apart from one thing in order to be dedicated to another, to turn from sin in order to pursue life with God, to move your life from the life of this world mired in its sin in order to walk with Christ in growing freedom from sin. Second thing about this sanctification, sanctification or holiness comes in two stages in the Christian's life. It is both immediate and it is ongoing. First, it is immediate. What do I mean by that? 
Well, I mean that from the moment Christ saved you, He set you apart from sin and claimed you as wholly belonging to Him. That's why the Bible calls us saints. Do you realize you're a saint if you're in Christ? 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2, Paul says he's writing to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus. The moment you came to Christ, you were sanctified. You were set apart as belonging to Him. You became a saint. You began to share in His holiness. That, dear Christian, is your new status. And so in one way, we are already holy. He's claimed us. Our lives have already been set apart from sin as belonging to Him. It is a done deal. But second, growing out of that, holiness is also ongoing. We are becoming holy in our behavior as we continue to walk with Him. 2 Timothy 1.9 says that He saved us and called us to a holy calling. That's what we're talking about here. This ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Becoming more and more like the people God has called us to be with lives that more and more look like the life of Christ. This, by the way, is where all those commands for holiness come in. We started with 1 Peter 1.15. But as He who called you is holy, so you be holy in all your behavior, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And so if you're going to walk with a holy God, you must be holy yourself. Just, just do a little word study sometime. Look up all the commands to holiness. And you'll see that holiness for the Christian is not optional. You understand optional, right? You buy a car, and there are certain things that are options in that car. Things you don't actually need for the car to be able to run. So Bluetooth connectivity is an option. Yeah, it's nice to have, uh, but it's not essential. The car will run just fine without it. Some of the under-20 crowd are saying, I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) Bluetooth connectivity is an option. The engine is not an option. Wheels are not an option. They are essential. The car won't work without them. In the same way, for the Christian, holiness is not an option. It is essential. You cannot be a Christian without it. Consider the warning of Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Salvation and holiness go hand in hand. He saves us that we might be holy and fully devoted to Him. Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Why did He choose us? That we would be holy and blameless before Him. And so, a third thing here, holiness is progressive in the Christian life. It's a fact. It's who you are now. But now, the Christian living is a matter of becoming who you are. Growing progressively in this holiness. So if you belong to Christ, this is something you are now progressively growing into. Now there's good news and bad news in that. First, the bad news. The bad news is if there is no holiness in your life at all, if there's no progress in becoming more and more like Jesus, no desire 
uh, to be more like Him today than you were yesterday. No longing to be done with sin. You're fine with the sin you're living in. If that's true, you are probably not a Christian at all. And what you need to do is you need to hear the Gospel of Christ that it saves sinners who repent and believe. And you need to repent and believe. Trust in Christ so that your sins can be forgiven and you can become a new creature. Because that's where it has to begin. It can't begin with your effort or trying or, or, or saying, I'm just going to do better. You believe and you follow Him and He gives you this new life that begins working through you. Second Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new is come. But there is also good news in the fact that holiness is a fact of the Christian life and a progressively growing, and that is this. So holiness or sanctification for the Christian is now a direction your life is moving, not a destination you have achieved. We look at our lives sometimes and we say, yes, I want that. Yes, I desire that. I've seen some growth. I've seen some movement. But I'm not there. Am I a Christian? I'm not there. I sinned this week. I fell back into that same stupid thing. No, no. For the Christian, holiness is a direction you are now traveling, not a destination that you have achieved. David Pallison says this so well in his one of his last books um, out there called Making All Things New. I highly recommend it. And he said it this way. He said, Sanctification is a long walk in the right direction as you follow Christ. In fact, listen further. I'm going to just summarize some of what he says at one point in that book that I found so helpful. Listen to what he said. He said, we are each and every one of us on a trajectory from what we are to what we will be. The moral absolutes of Scripture rightly orient us on the roadmap, but the process leads to an actual long, long journey in the right direction. The key to getting a long view of sanctification is to understand direction. What matters most is not the distance you've covered. It is not the speed you're going it's not how long you've been a Christian, it's the direction you're headed. Then he says, the rate of sanctification may vary from time to time and from person to person, but it is ongoing. Sometimes we are like gazelles. We grow by leaps and bounds. And it's amazing and it's wonderful. Most of the time, though, sanctification is more like a steady, measured walk. You learn God's truth and grow as you apply it to your life. You learn God's truth and grow as you apply it to your life. But then there are those times it's more like trudging through thick mud. You're still making progress, but it's hard and there's much resistance. Then there are those times maybe you even crawl. Progress becomes painful and seems almost unendurable. Sometimes you don't need to be, seem to be moving at all, but you're still facing in the right direction. You can still see Jesus urging you on. Sometimes it's even like you've fallen asleep, but His grace comes and it wakes you up. Sometimes you wander off the road and feel like you're about to get lost, but Jesus comes after you or sends a friend to take you by the hand and lead you back. There may even be times that you just faceplant in some sin and break your nose. But because you are His, Jesus picks you up and washes you off and sets your feet back on the path so that you continue following Him. You've been there? I've been in all those places. I've been in all those places. But here's the important thing. The important thing right now is not how far you've traveled or how fast you may be moving. That's going to change day to day. The important thing is that you continue to follow Him. 
that His grace keeps you moving in the right direction on this lifelong path of learning to follow Him. This is what sanctification is. A lifelong journey of following Christ. Martin Luther, I love the way he said it. He said, this life presently is not righteous, but growth in righteousness. It is not health, but healing. It's not being, but becoming. It's not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing toward it. The process is not yet finished, but it is ongoing. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. Now that's what Jesus is praying for us here. That we would be progressively sanctified. That step by step, our lives would be more and more brought into line with His. And that is the fourth thing. How do we know what in line with His looks like? I mean, Jesus is not here physically for us to follow. So what does it mean to follow Him? Where do you look to know what the life of Jesus you're following is? Well, back to verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. And so it is God's Word that is the agent or instrument of our sanctification. Sanctify them in the truth or by the truth. Truth is the agent God uses to bring sanctification into our lives. And listen, in a world of lies and delusions, you've got to have the light of truth to be able to keep walking in the right direction. Sin has blinded our eyes. It's clouded our minds. The world, the Bible says, is lost in darkness. Psalm 82, verse 5, they have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. If you're lost in the dark, what do you need to be able to see? You need the light. Specifically here, the light of truth. More than that, the truth of God's Word. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Here He says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. God's Word is the sanctifying truth we need. God's Word is the instrument God uses to light our way and bring us along on the path of sanctification. And so... We are called as Christians to sanctification to be separated from this world of sin and dedicated to the life of God. And what Jesus is saying is that the Word, the Bible, is the agent of that separation from sin and dedication to God. It is the instrument God uses to cleave us from our sin and connect us to Him. It separates us from sin so they can bring us more and more into line with Him. Uh, listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verse... 12, for the Word of God is living and active. Oh, I love that. It's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intention of the hearts. Now, what is that saying? Notice how the Word of God is the active instrument God uses to cut and divide things in our lives. It separates truth from error, reality from illusion, sin from salvation. The truth of God's Word is the sanctifying power God uses to separate us more and more from our sin that we might live more and more unto Him. As we read it and ponder it and think about it, 
It comes in and rearranges the categories of our minds and reorders the thoughts and feelings of our hearts so we begin to think more like God thinks and see things more like God sees them. Friend, that's why a daily commitment to the Word of God is an absolute essential in this process of sanctification. In the same way that sanctification is essential to the Christian life, you can't be a Christian without it, so also the regular intake of God's Word is essential for sanctification. You won't have sanctification without it. Because the Word of God is living in us, and that is what brings the power of holiness to us. One of my all-time favorite passages of Scripture is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And that's another one you just need to memorize. I mean, you just need to say, I'm going to do it. If I hadn't done it yet, I'm going to memorize it because it needs to get deep into your bones. And so, just quickly, if you turn there, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul writing after all he has said about the marvelous mercy of God and salvation says this, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers. I, I, I'm pleading with you. By the mercies of God, based on all that He's done in your salvation, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it is the Word of God that has power to transform your mind so that you can discern good from evil. It is God's Word uh, that is read and heard and uh, thought about and dwelt upon that has the power to refresh and renew your mind, to fix it on Christ who reigns above so that you stop dwelling on these earthly things that can so easily captivate your heart. Friend, it takes a daily encounter with God and His Word to keep your mind fixed on what is true and right. So, so that you can grow in so, so that you you cannot you can no more grow in holiness without regular feasting on God's word than an Olympic athlete can run a marathon without a regular diet of nutritious food. I'll just say it plainly, I have never met a truly growing Christian who was not regularly in God's Word. I simply have not. I don't believe he or she exists. It is the living Word that equips the mind to think clearly about life so that you can follow Christ. And please understand, I'm not talking about legalism here. You know, going to the Bible, finding a bunch of rules I have to try to follow. It's not a matter of finding laws to observe, but truth to be loved. And the more you love it and look at it and think about it, the more it will shape your mind and heart to be like His. And so the power of sanctification is found in a life that is dedicated to being shaped and energized by His Word. Listen, the Word has power. Life-changing power. Clarifying power. We see that in at least four images found in Scripture that I'd love to spend time on. I'm just going to mention them. You can look it up yourself. We've already seen one of them. The, the Word is a lamp. It is a light to my path, Psalm 119 says. It lights the darkness in front of me in this dark world so I can see where I should go. It shows me what's really there so I can avoid the pitfalls and discern the true path. Second, we've seen the Word as a sword. Ephesians 6.17 says, "...the sword of the Spirit." which is the Word of God. It's like a knife. It, it cuts. It's like a surgeon's scalpel. It has the power to cut away the cancerous growth of sin, of sin and restore us to genuine spiritual health. God's Word further, Jeremiah says, is like fire and like a hammer. We get two for one here. 
Jeremiah 23.29 Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So, so it burns away the dross of sin with its heat and has power to you know, shatter the stony hardness of your heart. You, you ever been broken by the Word of God? And then fourth, it is a seed that brings life to the soul. 1 Peter 1.23 says, You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. This Word, like a seed, has the power to bring new life where there was only death and decay before. Where sin kills you, this implanted Word will give you life. Oh, dear one, dear child, dear, dear young one here, dear struggling saint, this is why I constantly want to urge you to have your life fixed upon God's Word, feeding on it. Not out of legalism. You know, one more thing you got to try to do today. But for the sake of your life, for the sake of your soul, for the sake of your joy in Christ, God's Word is the instrument He has given to bring these things to you. Oh, why would you neglect such a, such a Word? Because then notice, Jesus says your Word is truth. Now pay attention to that. Not just true, it is truth. So it's not just true in the sense of accurate, but of course it is accurate. But truth, meaning it is truth itself. In other words, the Bible doesn't just tell us true things. The Bible is the very standard by which truth can be known. And so we don't judge the truth of the Bible by comparing it to other things. We judge the truth of all other things by comparing them to the Bible. The Bible gives us the truth about what? About everything. So about morality, about sexuality. You know, where does sex belong? Well, it belongs in marriage. Anything outside of that, the Bible is very clear, is the kind of sin that takes us away from God, that corrupts and deadens and hardens our soul. It gives us the truth about gender, the truth about parenting and marriage, about how to love your neighbor and respond to an enemy, how to live as a son or daughter, a husband or wife, a friend or a worker, how to worship and how to flourish in a God-made world. The Bible is God's standard that shows us what we must know and love and pursue to have a life that is pleasing to Him and joyful for us. It it shows us how we must live and what we are to avoid and what we are to keep in following Jesus. It is the energizing power in the hands of the Holy Spirit that keeps us moving forward with Jesus day after day. It is alive. I can quote my buddy Luther one more time. Luther says, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me. It has feet, it runs after me. It has hands, it lays hold of me. The Bible is not temporary, but eternal. Which brings us to the final thing, which we'll just touch on quickly, but we need to end because it all fits together. And that is the fact that those then who belong to Christ are not only made holy, but being made holy, they are sent back by Him into the world to represent Him. Look at verses 18 and 19. He says, As you sent me, praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have now sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Now here we see His purpose in our sanctification, at least one of them. He sends us back into the world as those who are now His representatives. Again, verse 18, 
As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, notice that word sent. This is pretty cool. The Greek word is apostello. It's where we get our word apostle. So think about this. Jesus himself is the original apostle. He's the one constantly through John, he's told us, sent by the Father. And it's the one who was sent by the Father, the apostle who sends us. In fact, uh, we see in Hebrews 3.1 that very word used. It says, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So, what is he saying here? Look at it, verse 18. As you apostled me into the world, so I have apostled them into the world. The one who was sent for our salvation sends us with the message of salvation. He's going to say it again in John 20, verse 21, in exactly these same words. Peace I leave with you as the Father has apostled me, even so I am apostling you. And and so the, the, the sent one claims us in His name and makes us holy as instruments for His purpose and sends us out to accomplish that purpose. The one who separates us from this world of sin now sends us into that world as agents of redemption. No, no, no. We don't belong to this world. But neither can we just abandon this world. We belong to Christ for His purpose and His purpose is a redemptive purpose. Listen, He cares about your lost neighbor. He really does. He cares about that troublesome couple down the road. He cares about your lost son or your lost daughter, your lost friend or family member. He cares about them. And so His work of sanctification, listen, His work of sanctification has not set you above them to sit in judgment of them, but it has sent sent you to them with the hope of salvation. It has drawn you to Him and made you like Him so that you can join Him in this mission. I said this last week. Those around you who are living in open rebellion in the darkness of this world, by the way, the same darkness you once lived in, they are not your enemies. They are the mission field. Read again, verse 18 and 19. There's something good we want to see. As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sake I consecrate, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now this is really good. I want to make sure you see it. There's something wonderful here, so don't miss it. Let me read 19 again. For their sake I sanctify myself. That's what that word means. I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now look what Jesus has done for us. This is very important. He says, I, for them, for them, for us as disciples, He consecrates Himself. Now, the ESV uses the word consecrate, but it's exactly the same word as sanctify used all the way through here. I know why they did it. I just wish they hadn't. So, so Jesus says He sanctifies Himself for us. Now wait a minute. Why does Jesus need to be sanctified. He's already holy. So what does He mean? Remember, to sanctify something means to set it apart for a divine purpose. And in this case, the language He's using means to be set apart as a divine sacrifice. Because that's what Jesus is doing here. He is 
dedicating Himself for us as a sacrifice for our sins. And the words He uses, in fact, indicate the giving of Himself as a substitutionary sacrifice in our place. That for them is that word who pair in the place of, on behalf of. Same word He used back in John 10.15 when He said, I laid down my life for my sheep, in their place, on their behalf. So I'm sanctifying myself as a sacrifice on their behalf, coming to be their substitute, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So watch this. Here's, 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 the, here's the payoff, the conclusion. Watch this. Watch what he is saying. As Christ set him apart, pardon me, let me start over. As Christ set himself apart for us as a dying sacrifice for sin, so now we must set ourselves apart for him as a living sacrifice for his glory. As Christ set himself apart for us as a dying sacrifice for sin, so now we set ourselves apart for him as a living sacrifice for his glory. Glory. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. Friend, that is the goal of your life. We have been set apart by Him to live for Him for the glory of His name. To live for Him. To walk with Him. That's your calling that more and more people may see Him in and through you, meet Him in and through you, see a living example of who He is in and through you. And the Lord's Supper that we celebrate week after week is a picture of this commitment that we make. So we're going to transition to closing with the, with the Lord's Supper this morning. Because it is... This truth, His sacrifice, His dying sacrifice, which makes us living sacrifices that we see here. We see it as we share in these words every week. 1 Corinthians 11.23 For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, Paul says, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Same words, on your behalf. Now you do this in remembrance of me. So we take the Lord's Supper week after week. We remember His dying sacrifice for us. And we pledge ourselves anew to be living sacrifices for Him in this world. And so as we prepare to close with the Lord's Supper, brothers, come and let's, let's get the table ready. I want you to do two things. I want you to use this moment that we, that, that, that we have between as we distribute to do two things. Number one, look back and remember Jesus and His dying love. Think about that. Think how freely He gave Himself in sacrifice for our sins. Think of that and praise Him. Think of how He died to separate you from these sins and bring you into the joy of a new and holy life with Him. And dear one, if there is sin still clinging to you this morning, or if specifically He brings to mind the sin that you're still dealing with, confess it to Him. Don't let it keep you from Him. Turn from it and run to Him. Thank Him for, for dying to take it away and ending its hold on your life. And let Him do that. One more step in progressively following Him. If you've never trusted Christ, 
I would urge you this morning to do so now. Nothing will honor Him more than bowing your knee and confessing Jesus as Lord. And so you come by faith, you trust what He's done, and you follow Him. Let Him give you this new and holy life. And then each of us, church, let's second of all commit ourselves anew to living the life Christ has given us as we walk out of here. Are there things that need to be repented of in your life this morning? Well, then repent. Don't just say, gosh, I should repent. Do repent. Has your faith grown stale? Well, let it be renewed by Him. Let it be refreshed by a fresh look at Him this morning. Hey, that's what we're here for. Let His living Word prepare your heart to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him as you walk out of here. And so as we distribute these symbols, use this time to lay your heart out before Him and to think about these things. And then we'll close following the Lord's Supper. For I receive from the Lord what I also... For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Lord, and that death was enough to purchase salvation for every sinful and hungry soul that turns and trusts in You. It was enough to wash us thoroughly from our sin. And it is enough still working in us by the Holy Spirit through the Word to completely and continually bring us out of our sins. Lord, where we have sinned and fallen short, We repent and we ask that You would give us a greater delight and an experience of growing deeper in Your grace and further along on this path that You've called us to Christ-likeness. Let us see You forwarding that in our lives this week as we walk out of here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can stand and I'm going to go ahead right into the benediction in light of... The exhortation of Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm just going to let those words personalized for us be our benediction, the ringing in our ears. And so I appeal to you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God that you have received, that you present your bodies to Him as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your true spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world anymore, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind daily so that you may discern what the will of God is and know that which is good and acceptable and perfect as you continue living for Him. Amen. Amen. We are dismissed.